John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 869.PR2904, certificate number 39131, Operation Ajax. Former Premier Mossadegh's ruined house is a mute testimony to three days of bloody rioting culminating in a military coup from which the one-time dictator of Iran fled for his life. Now, even though we had a little recording interregnum here in the fall. Uh, It's only been a few days since Futurelings, if they're listening in order, uh, learned about Kermit Roosevelt's voyage on the River of Doubt. That's right. Uh, Just cast your mind back. Yes, I can can recall. Uh, This is, this will be the second time where, um, the second time that we've done somewhat linked episodes, if not back to back, then we, we just did Bader Meinhof because I thought it would be funny, but instead people were annoyed. But, well, and I think that's actually funnier, so I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I think people were more annoyed at my Bader Meinhof entry than at yours. Well, people were annoyed, I mean, beyond any ideological annoyance, which I still am not going to attempt to plumb here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There were people who were annoyed that we talked about the Bader Meinhof gang without mentioning the more internet famous... Bader uh, Meinhof phenomenon. The frequency illusion, yeah. Right. And then when we did... We didn't get credit. Yeah, nobody was like, oh, Ken and John always one step ahead. <laughs> they uh, Maybe they double down on being annoyed, as is their right. But are you suggesting that there's more to say about Kermit Roosevelt? I really felt like I covered the whole, I really carpeted the topic. Well, here's the problem with Kermit Roosevelt. Yeah. That was a, well, maybe there's multiple problems. with. I, I don't mean to cancel Kermit Roosevelt. No, but there are a few problems with Kermit Roosevelt. He was sliding down the White House stairs on a cookie sheet. That was cute. But then... That was cute, but then... Then he, he, I think, shot pandas, maybe? His untimely demise is maybe the, the hardest part of his story. Did we discuss swallow. that in the River of Doubt? I Because it's Alaska adjacent. It is, yeah. He, he ended up... Uh, Taking his own life in Alaska during World War II as an officer. I do believe we talked about it. It's, Did we? It's, uh, it's right at the end of the story. It's just been a few days for the future, or possibly thousands of years. Who knows in what order they're listening. But, right. but for us, it was like six weeks ago. If you're listening in alphabetical order, who knows when the, <laughs> when the last episode came. But, uh, but we should say, yeah, you've been gone for the last month. So, so we had to learn how to use computers again, you and I. We were almost thinking we would have to do uh, remote... Entries, which we have not liked to do we've historically. Never, we've only done it once, but yeah, I had reverted to a completely cottagecore existence here. I was <laughs> making my own 
you marmalade. Were, you were whittling a a, a big uh, a big serving spoon out of out of uh, ash wood when I, was, I came in. It's my only tool. I, I use it to <laughs> oh, sorry to scavenge. Uh, I use it to scavenge the dog food out of all the containers that I find lying around. So not just a spoon. That's everything to you. It's well, it's my your, spoon it's is your, everything. It's to your me. spear and your yeah. chopsticks and yeah. your can opener. That and my gyrocopter. <laughs> Did you also whittle a gyrocopter? <laughs> I did while yeah. I was gone. Yeah, wow. I'm that, a different. A different I kind was of gone for a while. Uh, the yeah. So I, I apparently I have no memory of this, but at the end of you know Kermit's malaria from the River of Doubt became a recurring health problem throughout yep. his life. Plagued him. Liver problems, which were exacerbated by his drinking, which you know either exacerbated or were exacerbated by his depression. All his, of his drinking, his drinking was to the level that he had delirium tremens, like he had. But then also was given a command in the army because you know he knew somebody. <laughs> he was uh, yeah. Even before America joined the war, he was up raiding Scandinavia or something with with the British. Yeah, yeah, and was injured. But, but you know, like Fort Richardson, Alaska during World War II. Maybe it wasn't the primest post. Where is Fort Richardson? Fort Richardson is right there in Anchorage. Um, there are two giant military bases kind of within Anchorage city limits. And you can live in Anchorage. And I mean, I don't think you could not be aware of them, but but it's but it's possible to live in Anchorage and not appreciate how big these bases are and how much they really take up the real estate that otherwise would be part of the city of Anchorage roads just go around them and you yeah. don't really, re- I mean, it's the same as golf courses or, or gated communities. It's you kind of don't notice because the roads are designed. So you won't. Right. But if you look at an aerial view, I mean, Anchorage is built on a peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at an aerial view of it, you're like, wait a minute, one third of it is given over to these military bases that the road just goes around and you kind of look over the fence and you're like, Oh, some trees. And then I bet you there's a, you know, it opens to the inlet on the other side. And it's like, yeah, well, it's, they're, they're as big as the city. I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the show, but uh, the longtime U.S. Army post in Seoul, where I grew up, you know, we often, for most of the time I was in Korea, we lived just less than a mile from the base. And you went to the PX to get, get your cornflakes and stuff, right? Sure. You got to go to the commissary for your cornflakes. You got to go to the exchange for your uh, CDs and the long right. 80s boxes. Carhartt jeans. Got to go to the Stars and Stripes bookstore for your Marvel comics huh? and your uh nba magazines did could you use the swimming pool and stuff i mean did you have that much access use the bowling alley let me see went to you know went to boy scouts at the scout hut right movie uh, theater i'm better went to the movie theater every weekend bought christmas trees at the tennis courts near the scout hut now if, if so i grew up kind of on an army post even though we never lived there if someone was if there was a, a family like yours kind of doing the same work which was not military work your dad was a was a lawyer yeah it was just my mom had a dod civilian job and oh she did so that was what got you on the base worked at the high school she was uh, the beloved mrs jennings at, at Seoul american high school for for I don't know, better, more than half a decade, I guess. Where my good friend Kathleen Edwards attended school. She, she and I were at Seoul Foreign. Seoul American oh. was the DOD school. Those were the that's the wrong side of the track. Those, I were, see. The, those were the bad kids. Seoul Foreign was the diplomat. School. Seoul Foreign's all the fancy embassy and expat kids. But so the base is a large presence. It's in hu- Seoul? Yeah, it's huge. And what I was going to say is, if you look on a uh, if you go to the Korean map, and, and they've by the way, they've it, it's right in the middle of one of the most 
you know, uh, fancy, crowded, fashionable parts of Seoul. Gangnam? It's not. It's not near Gangnam. Well, it's it's not that far from Gangnam, but it's no. It's but it's it's, uh, it's near the Han River. It's very desirable real estate between Namsan Mountain and the and the uh, Han River. But you know, the Japanese had been there since the beginning of the 20th century, and then then the UN forces just took over. Right. And uh, so Korea wanted it back, and finally, as of last year, most of the army and the UN stuff is all vacated to uh, out in the exurbs of Seoul. The former Camp Humphreys is now the new big base. And are they, uh, is Seoul reclaiming this uh, central ground? Right after I left in the 90s, they turned the golf course, the big old military golf course, finally gave it back to the to the local government and it became a, a lovely park with a big cultural museum in it. Um, and, you know, that's the golf course where I used to wander around and make trouble with my friends when I was a kid. And now it's one of the nicest parks in Seoul. But now they're going to, they're trying to decide what to do with the, with the complex. And I'm sure it'll be... Art colony. I, I think they're going to kind of turn into kind of a Roppongi of Seoul with like upscale condos and yeah. high rises and retail and fashionable, whatever. Uh, but if you look on a map of that part of Seoul for many years on in, on the Korean online mapping engines, it would just be like a, a weird polygon of blank forest right. right in the middle of Seoul because they did not want aerial views of any of the, sure, the buildings sure. or the facilities. So you just, it, it was just this incongruous weird, they just, you know, cut and pasted some trees from Siberia <laughs> and just dumped a weird polygon of them into the middle of Seoul. And uh, if you didn't know any better, you'd think, oh, well, there's a nature reserve right there. Right. No, it was just where I bought X-Men comics. Uh, the Fort Richardson is where, so after his depression and drinking and his injury and in, in uh uh, in his Norwegian raid, right. uh, Kermit kind of went off the map and uh, his, luckily, he had a cousin several times removed who was now president. Right. And FDR had the FBI track down Kermit and got him. <laughs> in some bar uh, on the wharf, right? <laughs> I, that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> some flea bag hotel. <laughs> and they drag him out and sober him up and he gets stationed in Alaska. And you, you said that was not a cushy calling, a cushy assignment, but maybe it's just keeping him out of trouble. Yeah, I mean, I've been waiting for that to happen to me for 30 years. Like, You the, think the president's going to come? Yeah, some knock on the door of my flea bag hotel and they're like, you Mr. know, there's, Roderick. there's a helicopter waiting. We, your country needs you in the Aleutians. The thing about the thing about Fort Richardson in the '40s is that Anchorage was just a you know just sort of a uh, a railroad way station. It, there's Anchorage isn't really it's not a deep water port. It's not um, there's not a ton of, even though it's called Anchorage. It you just anchor there. Um, because that, I guess there's nowhere else. There's no other mud flat that will hold your anchor. Does it have a Trader Joe's? It does now, but it didn't then. It didn't in it the didn't 40s. in 1941. <laughs> but uh, but Fort Richardson and and then Elmendorf Air Force Base. Uh, you know they were big Cold War installations, but I have no idea what it would have been like to be stationed there in 1943. I can't imagine it was luxurious. Well, it didn't go great for him. He shot himself in the head yeah, and, and, and is buried there today. Yeah, and that's crazy. I spent a lot of time on Fort Richardson because when I was a Civil Air Patrol cadet, we had our meetings at Elmendorf, but they would take us over to Fort Rich to do trainings. 
Did and, they just had nicer whiteboards on the army post? Or? No, they uh, they I, like I've fired a howitzer. Oh, um, like they they gave us all this crazy. Civil Air Patrol needs to actually shoot down planes sometimes. I guess uh, they don't not with a howitzer, but <laughs> but they would. You know, it was just sort of. I mean, the Russians used to think that the. Or rather, the Soviets used to think that the Boy Scouts and the Civil Air Patrol were paramilitary organizations, and we always laughed like, "Ha ha ha!" No, it's just teaching you how to how to whittle and start a fire. But in fact, looking back, they're totally paramilitary organizations, and they would trot us around these military bases and kind of give us a glimpse of every job. So I spent a day embedded with the with the fire department, and you know, they just kind of would give us these experiences. So I spent a lot of time over there and I had no idea that Kermit Roosevelt was buried there. Not that I would have been interested when I was 13, but I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't even get you interested in enlisting. No, right. There's no way they're going to get you interested in Kermit Roosevelt's grave. I was super interested in firing the howitzer, but the problem with firing a howitzer is you never see the shell land. You you stand there. You is that the only problem with firing a howitzer? Well, Every, everything else is just great. Is kind of amazing, you know. Loading it is cool, and then you you pull the little lanyard and it boom, and and uh, you really feel, I mean, a sense of power. Except the shell goes over the hill. You don't. You don't get the fun of seeing your yeah. seeing. It, no one gets fragged. What's the video game term? Yeah, fr- I guess fragged would be friendly fire. You never you never get uh, you never get to see the car blow up. There's some spotter. Who's looking at it through a through a lens and and calling the coordinates? Well, there's a certain kind of pleasure to being the person in the room who doesn't actually get to see the visceral thing, but but whose machinations made the operation possible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh, how about right. that for a segue? Yeah, nicely done. Uh, the problem with uh, wait a the, minute, we're getting to the topic already. It's only been well. I need to explain why why we did Kermit Roosevelt. Right. This two was times this was a request from a listener named. Ron Woody. And I said, Hey, this guy wants a show about Kermit Roosevelt. And you said, ah, and you read and said, Oh, I'll just do the river of doubt. Then I read his email more closely. And what he wanted was a show about Kermit Roosevelt Jr. Uh, and I think I had seen that and I thought, Oh yeah, Teddy Roosevelt's son, Kermit Roosevelt Jr. Sure. He's the president's son, so he, but that's not how Jr. works. Ken. Right. His name is Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt's son would be Teddy Roosevelt Jr. Also, I don't believe that Ron Woody is a real name. Uh, it does kind of seem like a Parks and Rec character or, you know, something a, a, a suburban man calls his yeah. car or golf club or... Yeah, or a 70s porn name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that maybe that's... Uh, maybe Ron Jeremy's too subtle. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to go with Ron Woody. Uh, so it turns out what Mr. Woody, the pseudonymous Mr. We'll Woody, had requested was a show about... Kermit Roosevelt Jr., son the son of, of, our, of our friend of from Kermit. the River of Doubt. I see. And Kermit Roosevelt Jr. is most famous for his association with a, another American history event of the later 20th century, which is the 1953 coup that took down the prime minister of Iran. Oh, okay. Uh, also known as Operation Ajax. Was there... Not a Shah at the time. There was a Shah. The Shahs, of course, had sat on, had sitten, had sitten on the peacock throne of. Had sitted. Had sitted on the, as we say, yeah. in Persian poetry. Uh-huh. Come, come, sitted with me underneath the bow. Sitted Dartha. <laughs> uh, he had been another. The, you know, the Shah's family, the Pahlavis, had been on the throne of 
the peacock throne of Iran for for decades. Sure. Let's say let's say decades. Should we actually give for a, more than twelve should years? Should we actually give a date the, for the beginning of the Pahlavi dynasty? Well, was the Shah not installed? At a, I mean, I know the Shah was reinstalled, but was he not installed in the first place? Ah, uh, here we go. So Iran, you know, what is today Iran has had Shahs going back thousands of years. It's just an ancient Persian title for a king. The the Pahlavi dynasty, the last royal dynasty of Iran, yes, was installed in the twenties right. um, by European powers divvying up the region after overthrowing the, one. the Qajar dynasty, which the, the previous royal yeah, house. Yeah. Yes. Um but prior to that, there had been a constitutional revolution in Iran uh, around 1905-1910 that had installed a that had led to the development of a parliament and a prime minister, like a parliamentary system, in parallel with the royal dynasty. Wouldn't it be nice if that were still true? <laughs> a few things went wrong <laughs> after that, and Kermit Roosevelt or, or Kim as he was called. I guess in alternating generations, there have been four generations now of Kermit Roosevelt, and the odd-numbered ones are called Kermit, and the even-numbered ones are called Kim. That's been true in my family. The odd-numbered Johns are called Jack, and then the even ones are John, and I feel a little bit robbed that... You'd rather be a Jack? Well, no. The thing about being a Jack is that you're still a John. Oh, you get both. Yeah, right. You're John F. Kennedy or Jack Kennedy. I, you know, I think Jack Roderick would have been a cool name for me, but that's my uncle's name, Jack Roderick, except he gets to be John anytime he wants. His email address is, or was John Roderick. So kind of, kind of feel gypped. If your uncle Jack. Or I'm sorry, you kind of feel robbed. If your uncle, yeah, you can't say that. If your uncle Jack has passed on, can you now be Jack Roderick? I think it's at, at 50 years old. It's a little late for people to start calling you Jack. Jack's kind of a young sporty name. It does also sound like you would have to be a CIA analyst if your name is Jack Roderick. I, I think. Well, I'm happy to still... That's a, another knock on the door I'm waiting for. We need your... We, we need, need someone <laughs> with your name and scansion of name well, and to also, undermine, no, like undermine government's... Ability to, ability to be a CIA analyst. I feel like I have you think a lot you have of all skills. The, you think you have all the skills? I think so. I could interpret an awful lot of foreign... Uh, communiques? Yeah, hey, how stuff. do you think you would do with communiques? I think I'd be pretty good at communiques. What about uh, dossiers? I think I'd be great at it. Yeah. Is, is there, are these things that Kim Roosevelt had to deal with? I'm assuming yeah. he had a lot of different kinds of dossiers, paperwork with a French paperwork with a French name. That's how you know you're in the CIA if your paperwork has an as an as you would say accent aigu. I think I think I could be a cultural attaché at a uh, at an embassy somewhere. The Roosevelts also did the thing, which I don't think you. Yeah, you do this in your family, right? Where somebody pa- when somebody passes away, your numbers move up one. Like when somebody dies, the third becomes junior. No, we always screw it up by by giving people different na- uh, middle names. Middle names right. So there's never a. I think my dad was a junior, but he he resisted it. He never if if someone ever called him junior, he would fly into a rage I think, and murder that. Person. I think Kermit Roosevelt Jr. might have stayed Kermit Roosevelt Jr. even when his father shot himself in Alaska in the forties, but. Now, when a Kermit passes away, everybody gets a promotion. When a Kermit passes away, (laughs) (laughs) an angel in heaven sounds a bell. (laughs) Every time a Kermit sings with his banjo in the swamp. Can I 
for the longest time have uh, felt like my hair was one of my strongest features. You thought you were impervious to the ravages of time. Yeah, ni- neither you nor I have eyebrows, but I felt like a big, thick head of hair really was my identity. But lately, I've been feeling the top of my head thinning, the, the, the hair up there. You're feeling the top of your head more than usual because there's yeah. less hair in the way. Yeah, you were texting me. You yeah. were like, I think my hair is getting a little thinner up there. Yeah, what do I do? It comes for everybody, you know, and it's 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 tricky because so much of your identity is, I have hair. Yeah. And then it's perfectly normal as you get into your 20s, 30s, and so on. It gets more and more common that you're noticing a little less hair. Two out of three guys experience some form of male pattern baldness before 35. Oh, well, I've beat the odds. You've I'm dodged the reaper up until now. In my 50s, but still, I'm not looking forward to having a, you know, like a monk's haircut. Uh, there are still hair loss drugs that are prescription only, which means you had to go to the doctor's office, which was a hassle. Yeah. But now there's a better way, John. Oh, uh, fill me in. Keeps. With Keeps, you get your doctor's visit online, and then you get your hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Every three months, you get a new batch of generic versions of one of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products. Oh, there are only two. It would You would think by reading the backs of men's magazines that, that uh, there were a thousand. <laughs> there are only two that work, and you may have tried them before if you're concerned about your uh, hair loss, but never at this great Keeps price. So why does Keeps have more five-star reviews than any of its competitors? And why do more than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked these two very specific questions, John. I would assume it's convenience and affordability. Their treatments start at just $10 a month. Oh, that seems reasonable. And for a limited time, you can get your first month free. So if I were, say, for instance, ready to take action and prevent hair loss— would I go to keeps.com slash omnibus to receive my first month of treatment for free? That's correct. Keeps.com slash omnibus. A, a month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus. And I'm headed there right now. Uh, Kim Roosevelt, Kermit Jr., uh, was a his, uh, history professor at Caltech and... Uh, uh, around Code for being a CIA agent. Well, at the time he wasn't, but he did join the OSS mm-hmm. in the in the uh, around World War II. And at the beginning of the Cold War, he was running the Near East and Africa Division mm-hmm. of the OSS, now the CIA. And he was an Arabist. He was uh, that was kind of a block within the intelligence community that was very interested in the growing movement of Arab nationalism. Um, They had kind of shaken off the yoke of their British and French oppressors because, as we said, after World War I, the British moved in, they got the Shah on the throne and got him to sign a terrible deal whereby, you know, Britain got 80% of Persia's oil revenue. Right. They founded the Anglo-Persian oil company, which you can still... uh, Gas your car today. They put a little green leaf on their logo and they call it BP. Mm-hmm. But that is the same outfit <laughs> that uh, was paying off the Shaw. That green leaf, of course, means that it's sustainable and natural and good. That's why I go clean. there instead uh-huh. of Chevron. I don't like the militaristic vibe of a, of a Chevron. No, you want the, the little leafy vine. I take my very efficient uh, Hyundai and I use the leaf mm-hmm. gas and everybody's happy. I mean, I guess leaves are what eventually turns into gas. 
Sinclair's lying about right. the dinosaurs. You're absolutely right. It's, it's leaves. It's plant matter. It's, it's algae, probably. You need a little picture of algae on your gas station sign. That's the accurate one. But the thing about the... The thing about the Arabists is that the, that when the OSS morphed into the CIA, they immediately converted into a Cold Warrior bastion, right? That the the Soviets and the uh, and the Americans were using the using the Middle East as a as a proxy for their for their global power struggle. Without fear of the Soviets, Operation Ajax would never have happened. Um, Britain got, you know, Britain had cut this amazing deal where the they got kept all the money from Iran's oil and the Shah just basically enriched himself. They lived like, I mean, lived like kings. They lived like Shahs, better mm-hmm. than a king, mm-hmm. you know, with the fanciest of ski vacations and airplanes and yachts and everything just because they got everything they wanted from the cookie jar, impoverishing the nation. And when a man named Mohammed Mossadegh, I hope I'm saying that right, because I'm going to be saying it a lot. Mossadegh, maybe? Mm-hmm. Let's say Mossadegh. Mossadegh seems better. When he became prime minister in 1952, uh, he immediately wanted to put a stop to this. He nationalized the oil industry. Well, he's, he tried to negotiate a better deal with the country's European partners, and when that failed, he just nationalized the oil industry, and Britain freaked out. So was the role of prime minister a holdover from the 1905 constitutional monarchy that somehow the Shah hadn't thought to eliminate? Yes, he still had. I mean, it probably wasn't that different from a European constitutional monarchy today where there's um, pampered royals with little actual political power living off the fat of the land. Right. And or, you know, in the case of Britain, living in chilly, drafty castles and complaining about it is this is this a review of the crown (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm talking about balmoral castle as seen in season four of the crown but you know that's that's true today that there's a lot of talk about austerity with these royal families but that's because of this memory of when they were just real sponges of public money it was it was the parliament and 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 mosadegh that had political power and he should have been partners with the shah but that relationship was in trouble because of these accurate perceptions of the Pahlavi family as just being scoundrels and wastrels. Right. Uh, Britain embargoed Iranian oil everywhere and pled to the, you know, this is now Britain in decline, pled to the U.S. for some backup. And Truman basically said, look, there's nothing you can do. This happened to us when Mexico nationalized. This is just the 20th century. You you don't get your sweet 80% of somebody else's money anymore just because you have the howitzers. Right. And that probably would have been the situation until the Truman administration became the Eisenhower administration. The Dulles brothers took over everything. Fear of Soviet expansion, sorry, Soviet expansion Mm -hmm. was at a peak. And now it was very easy for these Arabists in the CIA to say, look, the problem is not that the British are paying more for their pipeline oil now. The problem is that these governments are getting uppity and they need to be doing it under the influence of our people and sure. not the Soviet puppets, because otherwise the Soviets just expand toward the toward the Mediterranean, toward the Indian Ocean, toward warm water ports. I know you love talking about how Russia doesn't have warm water ports. So this I is do. your I this is your it. big chance. I love it, <laughs> John. Is it or is it not true that Russia lacks warm water ports? It is. You know, assuming that you assuming that you don't count the Baltics and Kaliningrad, they do now in the form of Kaliningrad, but they can't. Uh, there's no overland ability to get in and out of there. So 
So with these, yeah, you got me started. <laughs> no, that's what I wanted. Yeah, but that's why you know that's why they invaded Afghanistan. That's that's their whole that's their whole game. They're always looking for a way out. And that's what was that's what the Eisenhower that's what Eisenhower administration and the Dulles brothers were afraid of, and that gave the Arabists an opening to start their CIA hanky panky in the region. And of course, the CIA you know there's a long American tradition of overthrowing governments all the way around the world. I mean, when the Marines sing about the shores of Tripoli, that's the Barbary Wars of 1805. And as early as the Madison administration, we were installing regimes overseas that would be more favorable to our shipping. Right. Well, and the Barbary pirates are are a future entry in the omnibus. So don't give away too much. Or if you've already listened to that, because you're listening out of order, a past entry. Right. Omnibus. Exactly. If you're listening in alphabetical order, you would have been it, it was one, one of, of your early earliest yeah. episodes. Uh, Mossadegh was uh, a, a charismatic, well liked figure for having kind of democratized, continued to democratize Iran during this period and trying to take power away from these out of control fat cat Pahlavis. But also, this was an era of kind of secularization of the world of Islam, right? He was not popular with the mullahs, as we shall see. The clergy was very skeptical of the movement toward democratization because it, it, you know, it uh, weakened their own hold on the people, right? And what they saw as the correct way of living a good Iranian life, right? And the and the the fun and age old conflict between the Shia and the Sunni, which seemed to be mucked up by this. Uh, imposition of an overlay of well, that's what happens with a secular government. <laughs> yeah, that's you, right. You can't. You can no longer <laughs> fight in the streets with your religious <laughs> opponents because stupid pluralism. Hmm. Uh, Mossadegh, uh, though he's a popular figure, he's often referred to as extremely eccentric. And I was interested yes. in you know because you know what's better than the eccentricities of some mid-century prime minister, right? Yes. Like, uh, tell me more. Uh, but when I looked it up, I was a little bit disappointed. It turns out that he would often wear great pajamas. To public events, hmm. he would conduct business in bed. Hmm. He would weep openly, and he would often complain of health problems. Sounds like John Lennon. It sounds like John Roderick. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, who among us does not have these crazy eccentricities of liking to work in pajamas and complaining about your health? I since the pandemic, I have found myself. Uh, I have purchased now five pairs of pajamas. Are they um, all identical? No, well, you know, we got we got some pajamas from our uh, from our recent sponsor, Mac Weldon. Oh, you right? bought pajamas. I got pajamas. Uh, I used my money on uh, what Henleys and uh, sweat, sweaters. I think. Yeah, no, no, no. You I got, got pajamas. I got PJs because I'm living in them now. Why wouldn't you? I just haven't passed any legislation. I had to, I had to rent a tux. I, I had to rent a tux for like a costume for a, a video thing I was shooting remotely, and I walked into a tux rental place, and it was just. The saddest year. I was like, oh. all, all the proms canceled, all the weddings canceled. Sure, of course. And I said, I bet you guys aren't running a lot of text Texas. And the guy just looked around this empty men's warehouse and said, buddy, we're not doing anything. You know, nobody's <laughs> even buying pants from us. No. Where did you get that great smoking jacket that you used in that one ad? It must have just showed up at the set. Right? That was just, yeah, that was just wardrobe. They actually asked me, hey, how many three-piece earth tone suits do you own for this? 
And I said, you want to be talking to my friend John. <laughs> I do not own a single three-piece suit, much less in tweeds or, or whatever you want. Did, but you didn't ask to keep that smoking jacket? It was it was very becoming on you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, I, I don't know when I would have worn that. Again, we're not in a pants-wearing time. Around the house. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> Around the house with your shorts. So I've been unable to find any example of amazing eccentricities of Mr. Mosaday. He wasn't feeding his guards to his Siamese fighting fish or anything good like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but he was I guess he was thought of as a colorful and unusual figure, and maybe that was tempting to the Arabists. You know, there's something about a a white 1950s male in a crew cut who thinks, uh, this is another continent and another race. Certainly not ours, the correct one. This will be easy pickings. Yeah, especially like a wet. You, uh, you kind of feel like he's Western oriented. Maybe eccentricity automatically makes you feel if you're a, if you're a crew cut Ivy league, uh, uh, like CIA agent that I, I don't know, easier to get to. Mossadegh was uh, a bright man. He was, you know, he was well-educated in the finest European school. He, he was, you know, kind of tomorrow's Iranian gentleman. Uh, but the CIA still decided he would be easy pickings. Oh, easy pickings to get rid of. Right. Well, easy pickings for the Soviets to get rid of, you know, oh. so it's, it really is like, Hey, you know, we don't want to overthrow a, a prosperous regime, but you know what? You know what? Stalin's going to do it if we don't. So. That's right. A reformer is nothing but trouble. Really. We're skeptical of reformers because we don't know what the reforms will be. Right. You know, we, we you know, we kind of like, Castro taking out Batista. He's a reform. Oh no! First, it turns out, it turns out we don't like those kind of reforms. We don't like Che. Is he's, who we don't he's like. He's nationalizing things. Who's we? Uh, 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 oops. The t- t- Tucker Carlson <laughs> show. <laughs> who, no. Who are you speaking for? Sorry. Here? <laughs> uh, nothing. Hurum from from. No, nobody. So. Uh, in July 1953, Kermit Roosevelt Jr., grandson of of a former president one of America's finest and oldest and richest New York families, crosses the border into Iran with a, I don't want to say a clever plan, but with a plan. As we shall see, the plan is kind of basic. Here's Operation Ajax. Here's what you do. From a, Working from a CIA safe house in Tehran, he decides first to bribe the press. He just throws money at local papers, who it turns out local, local journalists in Tehran in the 50s uh, will do whatever you want for a very small check. Is he fluent in Farsi? I do not believe so. He's got other agents with him. I see. You know, he's he's the mastermind from downtown. He did not speak Arab. He did not speak Farsi. But I guess he was good with people. You know, he oh, would yeah. he would he would make friends and tell people that he was America and this is what you know this is what they wanted to hear. And his name, and, and his, and his name was Roosevelt. Yeah, right. His name was Roosevelt, you know? And there was some memory of the U.S. being good for Iran. Like, during the Constitutional Revolution that, that helped install the parliamentary system around 1910, there was some, uh, you know, American intelligence guy who just called an audible and decided he was going to go and fight and support the forces of democracy. And he was immediately killed. But there's, like, statues of this guy, Baskerville, now. Oh, and so there was this cultural memory of how, you know, the Americans come in and they're a force for good and democracy. This was still the case when I moved to Korea early in the eighties that, you know, that older shopkeepers would just be delighted to see an American because that was the face of liberation that didn't last in Korea. You know, as you know, late eighties, there were already student demonstrations about 
correctly about the kind of uh, military, you know, the downsides of American military, 50 years of American military occupation and, and uh, kinds of cultural imperialism. But there's a guy named Roosevelt who is making friends. Right. Um, and so it's very and easy. And has money to spend. That's the thing. He's got a CIA checkbook, and it, I probably didn't take much. This is one of the most depressing things about this story to me is that, you know, within a week, he's every newspaper is angered up about uh, how awful the Mossadegh government is. And then he starts meeting with the Islamic leaders and starts paying off all the mullahs. He, he visits Grand Ayatollah Bebalani, hmm. I think I'm saying that right, in Tehran, and tells him... Look, I know secularization's been bad for business. I can help. Here's a fat check. And now the mullahs start preaching sermons in the mosques every uh, Sabbath, Saturday, Friday. Sure. Every weekend. Uh, do, do, do they do the sundown to sundown thing? No, no, no. They preach all the time, twenty four seven. Well, you gotta you gotta pray five times a day. Yeah. So these sermons are also now about uh, how Mossadegh is the devil. Uh, it's funny how easily the mullahs are converted by money. This is the Saudi Arabia problem too, right? For for a group of people who are you'd think they'd be above reproach, Puritans and ascetics, um, because they're a because they're a hard bitten desert religion. Well, it just because they're I mean they're fundamentalist, right? You would think that 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 would be a thing that insulated you from being manipulated by manipulated so easily and cheaply by the CIA. I like no, that I, I like that I've disillusioned you about <laughs> Iranian ayatollahs. You th- you think they have principles but like, wow, not these guys. <laughs> Maybe Carson in the 80s should have been doing more ayatollah jokes about yeah. how they're they'll just do anything for money. Sure. Born in Arizona, moved to Babylon. <laughs> His third step, once he's paid off the newspapers and the mullahs is to turn the Shah against the prime minister. Which seems pretty easy to do. At first, the Shah is resistant. You know, the Shah and the prime minister are supposed to be a united front. Um, and there had been tension for years, but they, they had not, you know, they were, they were part of this, essentially part of the same administration, you know? Right. And, but luckily, again, Kermit's got the checkbook and he starts writing checks and he buys the Shah's sister a fur coat. And a few bribes later, uh, he he's you know after a series of late night meetings with the Shah, he's managed to persuade him that the Shah's family would benefit from a coup if we were to get rid of Mossadegh. It seems like Mossadegh hasn't done anything overtly to justify all this all this energy, right? He's just wearing wearing pajamas. He has it's not like he's instituted some crazy nationalization of the oil companies yet. No, he, he no he has. This is already this is. This is, uh, you know, years after he has nationalized the oil industry. Oh, I see. And so everybody, but it's true that, you know, the, that was only British money. You know, now it's just, now it's American fear of communism. It's true that he, I don't think he's made overtures to the Soviets. He hasn't given inflammatory speeches about right. uh, international revolution. Uh, you know, there's, n- I don't, I can't see any sign that, Mossadegh is is ready to be seduced by the common turn. Somehow the idea got into this group that supporting the mullahs was a way to uh, to gain control over the region somehow. That 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 exploiting religious conservatism 
would have been... And luckily that will never backfire on you. (laughs) I can't think of any way in the last 70 years in which that's backfired on us. But that's the crazy thing about about the Cold War. Like we, we, We took out who you would assume would be America's friends, like people trying to reform and put democracy in place. I mean, that was the lip service we paid. But we kept putting in these Pinochets right oh, and left. I, which, I didn't know where that sentence was going to go. We kept putting in these Pinochets. Got you. Um, and 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 like and pouring Less, money. Lesser into, of two evils, I guess. Oh, it's crazy. I guess if you're if you're liberal, you're closer to being a Soviet. That just seems weird. That's the, but that's exactly right. You know, a, a left wing dictator is going to be making concessions to. The working people, right, and maybe accepting overseas help to do so. Um, on August fifteenth, nineteen sixty-three, a truck as as um, <laughs> I don't know why this detail is in every account of this, but as Kermit and his friends sit in a CA safe house in Tehran, listening to the uh, score of Guys and Dolls. Okay, that's really in every account. <laughs> it is one one person had a story to tell, and it somehow is the detail that that gives the color to the thing. I wonder if it's in Kermit's book. He later writes a book, and I wonder if that comes from his book Counter Coup. But a, a truckload of presidential guard who have been paid off to turn against the president—they're not very good presidential guard anymore. No, um, arrives at Mossadegh's mansion. But what they don't know is that he has found out. Somebody has leaked to him, and he's got a larger group of loyal presidential guard hey, in the bushes. I love this. Uh, the phone lines were supposed to be cut and they were not cut and uh kermit's ambushers get ambushed i guess Mm -hmm. and uh the coup fails and the next morning it's a gloomy day in the safe house uh the shah has been taken to safety and he ends up fleeing to baghdad oh the shah's role is revealed yes uh i think he knows that the tensions between him and Mossadegh are such that it's clear. Well, I mean, the, the whole CIA plan, because they've got a backup ruler. If they get rid of Mossadegh, they can just install the Shah, and all he wants is a pipeline of American dollars. Right. So he's the new face of of the uh, Iranian government, and that's continuity. He's already there. Right, right. Nobody likes him, but he's already there. Hilarious to think that Baghdad would be his safe uh, his like safe readout. Yeah, I guess at the time there's no, or at least maybe that's the only flight he can get on. But Iranian Iraqi tensions are such that you can still get to Baghdad, and from thence to Europe. That's pre Baath party. Yes, it would be right. Right. I said from thence, and I'm going to get I'm going to get uh, postcards, and I don't care. Ken, I know we both wear Mac Weldon garments. In fact, this past Christmas. My sister envied my Mac Weldon pants so much that even though Mac Weldon is focused on uh, providing uh, men's underwear and and workout clothes and yes. special garments, I actually broke all the rules and bought her some Mac Weldon, uh, you know, kind of multi-use pants for uh, for her own use. If this works, you have doubled Mac Weldon's possible. Customer market. She loved them so much, and I mean, I love them. I wear my Mack Weldon socks, underwear, uh, and and sort of day pants all the time. I love my uh, sweatshirt. I love my Mack Weldon sweater. I'm trying to think what else I have. I have some kind of a shirt. They're great. Yeah. They're, they're high quality. They're comfy. Um, 
They oh. they would have worked in a world where I went places. Yes. They're, but they're also great for sitting and staring at a Zoom screen. I just went to Alaska and wore both pairs of Mack Weldon pants at one point or another. I wore, wore one pair as an underlayer for my skiing. Even in chilly Alaska, they're, yeah. uh, they're high-tech fabrics. Kept you toasty warm. They did, but you know, it's 2021 now, and we're leaving 2020 behind. Thank goodness. Leave behind your old low-tech underwear in exchange for Macwell. And they have a guarantee. They promise that if you do not like your first piece of underwear, you can keep it, and they will refund you no questions asked. Mack Weldon also has a really cool loyalty program where uh, the more you buy, the less you pay. Um, they, you know, at each level you get a, you get an increasingly large discount, 20% off. Um, and so I've, I often find myself, you know, like, oh, all I have to do is buy one more $10 pair of socks and I'll get $40 off the whole purchase. It's that's, a, how, that's how they get you, John. It's super fun actually. <laughs> um, so for 20% off your first order, Visit MacWeldon.com slash Omnibus and enter the promo code Omnibus. That's MacWeldon.com slash Omnibus. And if you enter promo code Omnibus, you will get 20% off. MacWeldon reinventing men's basics. Or if you have a sister that's super cool, reinventing men's basics and also for your sister. That should be the new slogan. Now, wait, the, the Iraqi bath party or bath party started in, uh, was founded in 1951. So this would have been contemporaneous or some, so they're already in power, but there's no war between the countries, I I guess. guess. I mean, I guess the Iranian Iraq, Iran, Iraq relations started to go South in the late sixties with the Shah in power. Spoilers. (laughs) Sorry. I just told you how the coup is going to end. Here's how Operation Ajax is going to come out. Um, you would think Kermit Roosevelt would fly home with his hat in his hand, right? But 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 that would have uh, that would have been anti quagmire, and you know this is the era where we really like to quagmire. Love a good quagmire. Plus, he's one of these, as you say, can-do Ivy League crew cut guys. You right. know, that's not the American spirit when your when your coup fails. No, it just means you didn't have enough guys in the truck. Right. So he has a he has, he's a Harvard man after all. He goes to Operation Ajax Plan B, which is continues to be uh, throw money at people. But this time, he decides just throw money at local small time criminals. Oh, he needs he needs unrest in the streets. Good allies. And there's no unrest in the streets, so he finds local protection rackets and pays them off to start shooting guns in the air and throwing bricks through the windows of things. And beating up old ladies. I don't understand why the world doesn't see America as the hero of the 20th century. <laughs> and uh, and he tells him to yell things like, we love Mossadegh, we love communism. Uh-huh. That, 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 famous, that famous thing that protesters always say. <laughs> we love communism. Uh, you know, even though Mossadegh doesn't seem all that red. Right. And, you know, this is a tactic that you can see, you know, just in recent unrest in American cities. You know, you see a lot of these, a lot of these masked figures caught on film saying, I love Antifa. This Dairy Queen must burn. (laughs) Weirdly, they, a lot of them later turn out to be 
Proud Boys or Boogaloo Brothers or whatever we have now. Yeah, that's very hard to parse, right? Because here in Seattle, we watched the um, the chop go from being a Black Lives Matter protest to being a centerless kind of un- unfocused protest, which it h- hard to know how many fifth columnists there were and how many just regular Oregonians. Uh, <laughs> You're saying regular Oregonians are not fifth columnists? But they were chanting, we love communism or something. <laughs> Confusingly, they were all saying, we love Mossadegh. Everyone's like, where's Wikipedia? Is that with two S's? Um, and then, uh, you know, so now he's got his unrest in the streets from anti-Mossadegh elements. Right. Oh, sorry. Pr- sorry. Fake pro-Mossadegh elements who are who are just super into communism. And meant to... Like, this is the crazy thing, right? Like, he really has the idea that this is going to turn public opinion. It's it's almost well, exactly mean, what happened in the streets of, of the United States this past And summer. it has worked. Right. You know, Fox News shows you a guy in a mask uh, throwing bricks at cops or whatever, and you don't see earlier the whoever planted the bricks right. or, you know— so he then, but this is smart. He this then hires, playbook is so unimaginative. But go ahead, tell I, me. It's what I don't like about Operation Ajax. You you want you want Kermit to be some kind of playing four D chess, and really, he's just writing bigger and bigger checks. But this is I, I kind of like this twist. He then pays a second group of people to counter protest the first group of people. Nice. He, he's now hired a second mob. You need you see these guys out yelling, "We love communism." Well, go get them. That sucks. Uh, here's some money. Go throw bricks at them. So now there genuinely is unrest. And Mossadegh, uh, you know, maybe they want him to crack down, but he won't. You know, he maybe it would have been smarter to crack down. But for what in this timeline, he did not send in the police. He says this is the kind of protest that you expect in a pluralistic democracy. Like he's still he's still a good guy, you know? Yeah. He's still like attempting Western pluralism. And then Kermit tightens the noose here. He orders both mobs simultaneously to march on Mossadegh's house, which is confusing because one of them is a, is at least right. Ostensibly a pro Mossadegh army and pro communism. But but I guess they're going to go to Mossadegh's house and just chant chant how much they love him. Right. And the other mob's going to go there and make trouble. So he's bringing the conflict right to the prime minister's Front door. This is inspiring a like a QAnon level of distrust in what what something one you sees. previously something you previously trusted implicitly. Yeah. The which, CIA <laughs> in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean if you can create that much uh, if it's just a checkbook, just an open checkbook to to because you can see the public opinion now believing that this is um, that this is grassroots and genuinely inspired. Feeling like you need to pick a side. Mothers and fathers screaming at their kids. Um, I'll say this right now. This is what ma- makes me the most mad about this, is just that he doesn't have brilliant... He does, He's not bringing in American technology. He's not using amazing state-of-the-art American surveillance or computing power. He doesn't have Facebook. He's, well, not, he's not even using kind of CIA brainwashing techniques. Yeah. Really, all he has brought... Is a is a checkbook. He's he's got a some kind of black budget for for his Near East and Africa division, and that's all it takes apparently to destabilize a entire an entire fairly prosperous nation. What's crazy is that this best and the brightest generation 
didn't actually believe that the American system was could sell itself Self-evidently, based, based yeah. on its own merits, right? Like it, that's interesting. You know the explo- exploitative nature of that st- of of mid century capitalism. Uh, somehow was the was the side of the argument that they that they lined up behind, rather than saying greater freedom, participatory democracy, education. Like these are the clean water. These are the things that we want to bring to the world, uh, which would have been more convincing, right? More stabilizing. I wonder if in the face of just kind of Stalin era duplicity, they intelligence felt like they had to compete. You right. Know, that like, they, they assumed that the Russians were also there playing dirty tricks. And so it was always the ends justifying the means. I guess, you know, what if they, you know, so the, the, you know, and the Soviet Union is telling elaborate lies about the rosiness of their system. Right. Right. So if they're going to do that, you know, these, and, and it's, it's led by, you know, it's inspired by kind of colonialism and racism, you know, these, these lesser people, they're going to believe that stuff unless we start telling our own, unless we start spinning our own webs. Right? Well, that colonialism extends to, American citizens too, like (laughs) the lesser people being anyone that didn't go to Harvard and isn't working for the government. How strange, you know, I'm generally an anti-conspiracist, you know, feel like. Yeah. Most of the theories are dumb. Yeah. But then you look at, you look at this era and I mean, I know there are futurelings who are rolling their eyes and saying that they read all of this many years ago in, in uh, a people's history of the United States, but Sure, yes. We we knew it too. But also you just want to I don't know because I still believe that education and clean water are the revolutionary technologies, you know, that the 20th century did advance ultimately civil rights. But to find I mean it's just so like colossally disillusioning. It seems like we didn't even try. Yeah, right. It, it, that's it, it. it wasn't like that failed and I was like, well, I guess we're going to have to send in Kermit. And Dulles, you know, like like the Roosevelt name kind of probably like woo-woos all the CIA guys too. Oh, well, it's, they'll send him in there and he'll... I guess, you know, Marshall Plan and Berlin Airlift. Right. That, that stuff worked, right? Right. So why why was that not the playbook? Right. Uh, I don't know. Why not just fund like commerce, uh, 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 small businesses? Like, what, <laughs> you know? Why didn't we just invent micro loans? Oh God! In fact, uh, so uh, you've got two mobs converging on Mossadegh's palace, uh, his residence, and apparently Kermit still has one check left and his final bribe is to the police and the military. And he oh, says, look, you can now, count on that. There's a, look, there's a riot in front of the prime minister's house. You're going to have to go in. So now the tanks roll in. And at that point it's over right. for most the, of the, day. the action bias of the cops and the army. What are they going to do? Do you think he could have just skipped the whole thing? Maybe he liked having this complicated plan, but what if he had just written a bigger check at first to the police and the army? <laughs> well, yeah, but then, <laughs> Can you, you skip know, the mullahs and the... Uh, that's an illegitimate coup, whereas... Uh, right, this appears to be... Yeah, I mean, we, we're seeing that in the United States, right? The, the law and order crowd needs a justification, and, and it doesn't require much. And Roosevelt apparently genuinely believed there was justification. You know, he thought that the people were fed up with Mossadegh and that there was a lot of grumbling and unrest and that you just had to bring it out. 
Um, the, 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 the number of checks he had to write maybe indicates to me that he was wrong about that. Well, but or, or that the cause of that unrest was that the Shah was skimming and right. the, the, there was inequality and so forth. Right. It's, it's the people see the inequality and have the wrong, blame the wrong guy. Um, but yeah, within the week, General Zahedi has been installed as the new head of the government. Famously. He's a military strongman. Um, Great. The best. So, so we have just, good job. We've just gotten rid of the democratically elected guy who was standing up to Europe. And now we've got a straight up dictator. Um, the Shah is able to come back from Rome where Zahedi's government welcomes now this new continuity with the past. Mossadegh stands trial. Many of his um, his colleagues, members of his government, are executed. Uh, I think in order to you know move forward, right. he is a uh, Mossadegh's life is spared, and he spends the rest of his life under house arrest, which is ideal for a guy who likes to wear pajamas, wear pajamas, work in bed, complain about his health, and sometimes weep openly. It's <laughs> maybe he didn't mind. I do feel like sometimes some heads have got to roll, but uh, but. To have killed Mossadegh would have seemed illiberal, whereas keeping him under house arrest, you know, it sure. feel, feels more progressive. The Soviets would have killed the guy. Sure, exactly. We just overthrew him. Uh, by all accounts, Eisenhower was surprised <laughs> that there was a new government in Iran. And in fact, there's funny stories of, as Kermit is running this... Um, this kind of counterintelligence op, uh, the different, you know, part, a part of the CIA, part of the Near East and Africa division knows about, you know, he's, he's planning these stories that, the, that he's, he's paying off the mullahs. But whereas down the hall, people keep running in the room and saying, Hey, the, whatever newspaper has just turned against most day, or now the mullahs are, you know, they're just like, this is great. You know, this is a good sign. Like they don't, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Of course. Of course not. Um, but Eisenhower is pleasantly surprised the forces, you know, the, the domino theory has been stopped at least, at least here near the black sea. At least briefly. At least briefly, and and uh, Kermit Roosevelt is given a secret medal, whatever the the CIA equivalent of the Medal of Honor is, right? For which his is which is the, to, the the intelligence star, something security like security medal. Yeah. I, don't know, I should have watched. I stopped watching Homeland after the second season, um, and so Kermit's a big star because now we know how to do this. And you know, again, U.S. intervention in foreign uh, unwanted intervention in foreign governments has a long history uh you know we were doing it in panama 50 odd years before this but this but new model now there's a yeah now there's a modern playbook and the ca starts doing it everywhere they want kermit to, to lead the one in guatemala and he turns it down he says no uh uh you know iran actually needed Mossadegh out i i i'm the one who read the tea leaves and knew what the people needed this guy in Guatemala is popular. He refuses to do it. It doesn't stop the, the CIA from doing it, but he but Kermit ends up leaving the intelligence community. You'll be shocked to hear that he goes into the uh, oil and arms industries huh. as a what a novel approach as an expert. Somebody they can <laughs> somebody they can send in to the negotiating table in You're all these countries. Telling me that someone from the American government found a job in the arms and oil industry? It's shocking. Yeah. In 1979, he writes his book Counter Coup. Oh, a long time later. Long time later, uh, which is kind of his account of what really went down and apparently it's very self-serving, it makes himself kind of a uh, you know, a, a debonair adventurer. You know, it's kind of like the Ben Affleck movie Argo versus the real thing where his version is much more exciting. 
And, you know, the CIA readers who have to approve it are just kind of rolling their eyes at this dime novel crap. Um, but uh, the funny thing is he's been, he, he, the book came out in August. And then the show was deposed. Well, the show was deposed in April. He must have been working oh. on this book throughout 78 and 79. Or maybe he's been, he's one of these guys who had a book, you know, that he's working on his book in his study on weekends for years when he wasn't golfing. Right. But by the time it finally comes out in August, the Shah has been deposed back in April. So there's been five months of this new hardline Islamist regime, which he helped birth, right. you know, by by kind of empowering the the Ayatollah and his mullahs against secular government. He kind of created this new hardline movement. Right. And it led to the hostage crisis. And all of a sudden, America's like, whoa, 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 what? Uh, Iran's a problem. And until a lot of these documents were released by the CIA in 2014, it wasn't commonly known how much we were responsible for our own bed there. Wow. Well, right. That would make sense. I mean, when you create that much dramatic unrest, you have no idea what people actually will do, what what the response actually will be. You're just pulling a lever on a howitzer. You don't see where the shell lands. That's right. (laughs) It would be like a shell that was in the air for decades. Uh, Kermit Roosevelt was not the last Kermit Roosevelt. Um, Kermit Roosevelt III, formerly the fourth, before his grandfather died, uh, is a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania. He clerked for David Souter and is now a prestigious writer of books about the law and also of legal thrillers. He, uh, he has written a couple, they're like kind of uh, Grisham style legal thrillers, but maybe with more of a, more of a policy edge. Like they're a little more classy. Cause you know, his first one I think is about some DuPont style clean water issue. Right. And his second one is actually about Korematsu. It's about the Japanese internment camps. It's kind of the story of the legal battles over World War II internment. So they're kind of Grisham novels with a with a more with a fancier, more what? yeah, written by a lawyer, more highbrow. Well, Kermit Roosevelt the third is uh, between the two of us in age. He was born in 1971. Ah. so he's a you know I would describe him as a young and and vital. Uh, a uh, person in early middle age. And I think of him as a as a decrepit quasi-boomer. Sure, this guy at 49, whoa. But I guess what I'm saying is, at some point, or if, if Ron Woody, if that's your real name, keeps mm-hmm. keeps uh, supporting the Patreon, we may have to come back and do a show about the next generation of Kermit Roosevelt. This may just turn into a podcast about people named Kermit Roosevelt. Yeah, it may surprise you that Kermit Roosevelt <laughs> Kermit Roosevelt went also went to Harvard and also through uh, uh, tried to overthrow the legal government of uh, of Iran. So it's a weird thing in their family. It's a family tradition. Yeah. They uh, they sing Christmas carols and they try to overthrow the Shah. And that concludes Operation Ajax, entry eight six nine dot pr two nine zero four. Certificate number 39131 in the omnibus. Futurelings. Dramatic pause. Well, you're really kind of amping the end of the world vibe here. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, it almost certainly is being used to manipulate you into feeling like you are either pro-Mosadeg or anti-Mosadeg. 
and to actually see through all the cloud and realize that, in fact, it is an underground market for adrenochrome <laughs> that is that is truly the uh, the motivator of the U.S. government. The, it's the chemtrails that are it making is. you have these extreme opinions about Mohammed Mossadegh. Like That's the, right. The planes going north-south are making you hate him, and the planes going east-west are making you love him. I had an interesting experience uh, the other day because back when I was a, a real chemtrails um, agitator, yes. uh, I used to tweet about chemtrails a lot. And during that period of time, hashtag chems was... C-H-E-M-S? Uh, yep. Was, um, was a way that we chemtrailers stayed in contact with each other. And so I decided to sort of uh, reanimate my chemtrails conversation for a little bit, but I hashtagged chems and it has subsequently uh, been co-opted by the uh, butt play community. To mean, do I want to know? Don't know. I can't. I have yet to figure it out. But all, if you follow that, don't do this. If you're on, unless you want to. But if you want, if you want to get to the bottom of this, <laughs> literally. But I had some people, you know, follow the hashtag chems, and it's a lot of uh, a lot of bottom oriented action, and um, and I don't know when that I don't know when that happened because two years ago, if you hashtag chems, it was all people spraying uh, vinegar into the air around their house in Arizona to protect them from mind control powder. So Jerry Falwell is right. Like environmentalists are even turning the conspiracy theories gay. That's right. It all, it all ends up being an LGBTQ uh, like training program. Hey, LGBTQ anon. That's what I call it. Hello. That's gotta be a thing already. L let's hashtag that and see what happens. <laughs> I want to Google that. <laughs> Uh, that's when that's when you hope that JFK Jr. is alive. I know because he's LGBTQ hot. LGBTQ anon. Uh, you can find us online at Omnibus Project. Um, social media just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> I hate it so much. There's no good side. There's no good place. There really is. But let's refer people to the least bad places. That's right. You can uh, email us or tweet at us or Instagram us at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Uh, you can, uh, yeah, you can D DM me on Instagram with your lewds. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You, uh, you can find us on Discord and Reddit and Facebook under the Futurelings moniker. A delightful community. A delightful community until they turned against me with the the Bader-Meinhof gang. It's entry. true. You are you are off the Future League group. Super mad at them still because it was such an like incomprehensible problem that they had. My theory is that everyone had a different problem with the episode, and that's why it was incomprehensible. There was because the, they were on it, online agreeing with each other, but none of them shared the same opinion. I paid one mob to support that episode and a second mob to yell at them. I, actually, I paid one mob to attack that episode from the left and one mob to attack that episode from the right. That's what happened. I got I got messages from people that were like, oh, John Roderick is an apologist for capitalism. And then somebody else was like, you know, this podcast has turned into a, into a Trotskyite uh, you know, information factor. From the woke point of view, I got an email complaining that we, uh, because we were kind of talking about these coddled middle class uh terrorist groups of the 60s and 70s, that that constituted Black Panther and American Indian movement erasure. Oh, wow. And I, and I had to explain that, you know, we've, you know, we'll do shows about those. We've mentioned those groups before and we'll probably do shows about them again, but 
we were talking about a different kind of activist. Right. To talk about the, the Red Army of Germany in 1970 does not uh, erase Leonard Peltier. That's correct. That was my take, at least. Yeah. I don't know if I convinced him. No, I feel like that's a hot take. If you are uh, super mad and you want to send a bomb... Uh, oh, yeah. Give him the address to send the bomb Like to. a homemade bomb to, uh, <laughs> to eliminate our voices from the national dialogue... Uh, you can mail that bomb to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Hopefully with the awareness that your bomb will kill a, uh, like a post office a box har- a employee. A hardworking postal employee. Yeah. Ken is pretty adept at knowing which of the packages that arrive are bombs. So they haven't, haven't killed us yet. The mail is kind of stacking up since we haven't done a show for so long. What have you got over there? Brett has sent each of us a thing. When he was a kid, he loved, uh, he's, all he wanted out of life was a GMC motorhome. He thought that was the future of oh, RVs. Hello. hello. And I think he knows that this will speak to you, this, uh, this Hot Wheels. Oh, it's a GMC. Hot Wheels GMC RV. Look at that. And a very, another very apropos 70s toy for me, because I've mentioned it on the show before, Luke Skywalker in Bespin Fatigues. With the gun. Oh my goodness, that is a that's very collectible. And I, I'm sure it is. I, you know, it's not mint in box, but look how good the paint job looks. It really is attractive. The, the belt isn't chipped or anything. With and gun. Uh, and I would have lost that gun in the first like five seconds of owning this in 1981. But he doesn't have a lightsaber. Well, this Luke does not. Even though this is the outfit Luke wears when he has his most, uh, you know, what his his most memorable lightsaber duel. This particular Luke never had a light because it was a design problem. You know, the, the old ones had the little slice in the arm yeah, where you would I hated those. where you would move the light, and it would it was a little thin soft plastic that would bend. But I know your daughter is going to love. I'm going to bequeath Luke and Bespin fatigues. Oh, that is so cool to your daughter. Thanks. I'll never join you. Thanks, Brett. Well, this GMC RV has the Palm Beach paint job, and I always wished that my GMC RV had such a colorful paint job. It's not too late. But it really shows all the advantages. It's a very nice rendition of it. How cool. Here's a couple uh, postcards. Our trucker friend Sparky recommends the best vegan burger in Austin, Texas. Hey, Sparky, no thanks. Oh, come on. No, if when I'm in Austin, I'm going to eat I'm al pastor. E- I'm, eating, I'm eating brisket and I'm not eating vegan burger. I spent too many years eating brisket in Austin, and then I realized that it's really al pastor. That's, the re- that's what you get there. The... Uh, well, we may have listeners who are looking for the best vegan burger oh, okay. in Austin. Right. And if it's That's there right. in your time, he recommends Plow Burger, a food truck parked outside Buzzmill Cafe. Thanks, Sparky. We may have listeners who are vegan hamburgers. <laughs> Sentient hamburgers. Well, I hope these are your ancestors getting a <laughs> shout out. And uh, John, with an out and H, sent us what he thought was the most omnibus postcard he'd ever seen. It's uh, some kind of field station in Alaska. Oh. But it appears right. that the postcard appears to have. Not just science, but also a bear and uh, an oil pipeline? Not just Maybe. science. That is a bear touching the, the Great Alaska Pipeline. Do you think you get, is that like a thing that you, your friends dare you to do when you're a young bear? <laughs> I bet you won't touch the pipeline. Well, the thing about the pipeline is that in order to keep the oil flowing, they have to keep it warm. So the pipeline itself is warm. Oh, is that what the bear is into? I don't know. I mean, that bear, it's not like it can cuddle the pipeline. It's its way over its head. Who knows what bears are into, John? Indeed. You probably do. Uh, I have uh, one more thing to uh, to remind our listeners that... Oh, uh, you're not done with your little read. This podcast is fan-supported, and uh, although I know that Ken is famously a, uh, a billionaire, and everyone 
online knows that he's just walking around in three-piece tweed suits, but but uh, but but won't admit it. Smoking uh, jacket. The podcast itself is um, is funded by your support, and patreon.com slash omnibus is where you can support the show. So please do. Ken doesn't get a penny of it. It all goes to the administration of the show. Uh, <laughs> it all is- goes to our shell company, <laughs> Jack Roderick Limited, which operates out of a CIA safe house in Odessa. But your support of the show allows us to keep doing it because, you know, Ken is a multimillionaire. He could be living on an aircraft carrier right now. I love your idea of what a a multimillionaire would do. That's your default image of a multimillionaire. He's living on an aircraft carrier. Living on an aircraft carrier with with Moroccan houseboys doing all his work. Uh, but, uh, But, yeah, your support for the show keeps Ken interested in doing Omnibus. So if you like it. Do you think that's a better a call to action than, you know, keep keep the show on the air, keep John's lights on, is keep keep Ken interested? Well, you know, be, because you've recently uh, you've recently had a spate of new job offers that I think are very exciting and, to people. And Grammy nomination. That's right, a Grammy <laughs> nomination, which is the 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 absolute twist of the knife in my breast. But um, yeah, Grammy nomination, and then all these all these intriguing new jobs. Yeah, I think that there. I get a lot of emails from people saying Ken's not going to quit the show, or or other ones that say Ken surely will quit the show. And I keep saying Ken's got nothing going on. Really, Ken is like desperate for human contact. He's going to keep doing the show as long as you support us on Patreon. <laughs> I uh, have no plans to leave Omnibus, unlike. Unlike kind of the for hire TV work I've been doing lately, uh, Omnibus is ours. <laughs> That's right. That's it's, right. It's sense of ownership. Omnibus belongs to us, and we uh, we are not workers for hire here. We didn't replace the previous hosts, uh, Ira Glass and Chuck Bryant. Right. Although, we are. Although, what a show that would be. Woo. <laughs> we are the small business people of this story that are keeping democracy alive in the Middle East of uh, of Seattle. Uh, it's actually we're kind of in the southern west of Seattle, but but um, but yeah, this is this is free enterprise here. We're the American story. Don't make us send a mob to your house. Ken, I uh, was wearing my Omnibus Futurelings T-shirt the other day, and then I realized there are new Omnibus T-shirts every month, and uh, we're already halfway through January. So, right. what's the story? We are running out of time for you to check out the two new January shirts, and they are pretty good. They're both really cool. There's an '80s style, '80s vibe black shirt in which you and I are drawn in Patrick Nagel's style. Awesome, it, and they're both very good looking. It's things. it's really good. And then there's a white style uh, T-shirt in the style of '70s and '80s generic food packages. <laughs> In which uh, we are a generic podcast. Ingredients, Ken Jennings, John Roderick, Wonders, Esoterica, Preservatives. And a barcode. Right. I wonder what happens if you scan the code. Well, uh... Only one way for you to find yeah, out. Yeah, let me encourage futurelings with barcode scanners to uh, to order the shirt. There's also other merch available, so go to omnibusproject.com slash store. Listeners, from our vantage point... In your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived before probably it was overthrown by foreign intelligence agents. Or Chuck Bryant and Ira Glass. (laughs) Which podcast hosts do you believe are going to overthrow our society? (laughs) It's going to be Rishikesh Airway and... Karen Kilgariff. It's almost certainly going to be Joe Rogan. And oh yeah, it'll, it'll just be Joe Rogan. <laughs> and, and who's that? Who's what that? Ding dong. Adam from, Carolla. Uh, Adam Carolla. Yeah, Joe. You. How Rogan. did you know that's who I was talking about? Joe Rogan is going to send. You know, the the CIA has paid Joe Rogan to send one mob to your house, and Adam Carolla to send the other mob. 
and they're going to fight, and that'll be the end. Or they'll have girls on trampolines fight. <laughs> we hope and pray that that catastrophe may never come, because think how bad the traffic will be. Gross. If the worst comes soon, however, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope democracy survives one more week so we can be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. 